So there's, there's two articles that we're going to cover today. The first is the tire ads, which I think has been in the news quite a lot lately. We've been reading a lot about it. Um, you know, everything is going the tire ads way. And in particular, I was alerted to this because our um, endocrine surgeons are actually asking. So Nick Williams has asked, are you guys going to be scoring things by this method? So I thought I'd better look into this. So there's two articles that I'll be looking at. This one, which is the white paper, you know, the, the um, thyroid imaging reporting data system. And then this one, which is comparison of the old system, which was you know the one that we used to the American Thyroid Association guidelines with the with the tyrants. It's um, it's interesting. So the best thing about it by far is this website, the tyrads.calculator.com. Um, it's really really useful because you can basically, if you've got a nodule, you can scores it for you. You know, you still have to put it in each category, but it's quite useful because on the website there's also lists, there's pictures of various attributes. So it's useful both in the scoring and it will give you an example of whatever it is you, you know, you're looking at. So in brief, this is the system and it's made of composition, echogenicity, shape, margin and echogenic foci. Um, and the severity um, or the likelihood of malignancy increases as you go down. So for composition, we've got cystic, spongiform, mixed, so, you know, the ones with the solid nodules and then the fully solid. And the necogenicity, we've got the anechoic, which are going to be cystic, so really they're the same thing, hyperechoic, yep, hypoechoic, and then interestingly, very hypoechoic. And then the shapes, I've got these two categories, which is transverse greater than AP diameter and then AP greater than transverse diameter. Um, and the margins can be smooth, ill-defined, lobulated, or, you know, frank extrathyroid extension. They also have a separate section of academic foci. So this is no or large comet tail artifacts, which we commonly see in cystic nodules, macrocalcifications, rim calcifications, or punctate calcifications inside the nodule. So far, so good. So this is the scoring system. So you score zero for cystic spongiforms, anechoic. Interestingly, so ill-defined nodules, and I presume they mean like, you know, in multinodular goiter where you've just got lots of nodules but no real definition. So I guess that gets a zero. And the large comet tails get a zero. And then one for the mixed and two for the solid. Um, three for very hypochoic. Three for this sort of interrupting the thyroid parenchyma, just like the breast thing. And fair enough with the punctate calcifications and the extra thyroid extension. I really don't like this scoring system. I think it's too hard. Um, you know, you could argue that you could make sonographers do it, but I think we should probably be doing it. But it just doesn't seem logical, you know, like having two zeros and then a one and two. But maybe it's just something you have to get used to. But anyhow, that's the system. And um, you add everything up and you, if you get a score of more than seven, then it's highly likely to be malignant. And obviously, if you get a score of zero, then it's unlikely to be malignant. So these are some of the pictures that they have in the website, which are quite useful. You know, this is your classic comet tail artifact. These are your regular calcifications as opposed to the interrupted ones, you know, the echogenic tiny foci in the centre. The interesting thing about this was that, you know, when you read through it, um, they say, well, cancer risk levels of no more than 2% for TIRADS 1 and 2. So if you compare that to BIRADS, for BIRADS 3, we give a chance of cancer of 2% and we recommend a biopsy. Now, then it says for it's only 5 to 20% cancer risk for TIRADS 4, 
and 20% of TARADS 5. So if you compare that to BIRADS, if you have a BIRADS 4 lesion, the chance of cancer is like 60% or 70%. And if it's 5, then it's like a virtual certainty. You know, we send patients to surgery for BIRADS 5 nodules. So <laughs> you can call it a TARADS. And it, it worries me that we're sort of buying into the certainty that the BIRADS score brings and just means that you're actually diluting the certainty of the BIRADS score by putting this new thing in. The other two interesting things to note from this article were that I didn't realise there was this size discrepancy between ultrasound and pathology. So they've made the point that for carcinomas that are more than 1.5 centimetres, the mean diameter on ultrasound was actually over a centimetre high, so 2.65 centimetres. So they have actually suggested that we not routinely biopsy nodules that are less than one centimetre, even if they are highly suspicious, which I thought was interesting. They do say that, you know, some people advocate biopsy of five to nine millimetres, but I thought it was interesting that this white paper says not to biopsy nodules that are less than a centimetre. Some other interesting things that they say were that when you measure nodules, you should measure them in three axes and include the halo of the nodule. Maybe that's why they're over-measuring all these nodules. I'm not sure. And they also say measure no more than four nodules if you're following nodules up and biopsy no more than two nodules and really discourage the use of the term dominant nodule, including the one with the highest score, not the largest So I thought that was interesting. And the other interesting thing they said was that you have to establish stability for five years. Basically, they're suggesting that we scan these people once every year. I mean, this is a common problem that we have. We have patients who have equivocal biopsies and then you sort of stuck. What do you do with them? But, you know, they're saying that you have to at least establish stability for five years. And I'm I'm still not really sure what's going to happen after that. You know, are people going to forget about it? Now, this second paper, the comparison between the two, I thought the interesting thing to note here was that um, so Vitarads has a good sensitivity, like better than the ATA, as long as they fit into these patterns. So the big problem with the ATA guidelines was they actually had a big section of nodules that didn't actually fit into any of their guidelines. And of those nodules that didn't fit into anything, you still had quite a high chance that they were actually malignant nodules. So, you know, from that point of view, the tyrant is better because it's more all-encompassing. But, you know, the specificity is really poor and the positive predictive value is terrible. So, like, it's it's a nice catchphrase, but I don't know if it's actually helping us solve the problem of too many thyroid biopsies. So that's basically my assessment of it. What do you think, Jackie? Yeah, look, this has been a very long-term problem for as long as I've been biopsying thyroids is more than I like to consider. And regardless almost of what you suggest or don't suggest, people get sent for biopsies. And I guess there's hope that being able to put something formal in place, because Mm. that negative predictive value is quite high, that if we can say this does not require biopsy by these guidelines, and bearing in mind it's only a white paper at this stage, um, then hopefully we can give the GPs a little bit more surety to make the patient less anxious and therefore send them on. I think your other comment about comparing the TIRAD to the BIRAD, Mm. I mean the TIRAD is only for the recommendation for biopsy. And I think the different gradings reflect the relative innocuity of thyroid malignancy, even if it's present long-term and larger, um, Mm. which is not the same for breast. Hence, you know, the TIRAD-5 still has a significantly lower risk of malignancies than the BIRAD-5. 
So I think, you know, because of the variability in appearance of these nodules and often the multiplicity of them, it is an ongoing and will be a long-term problem. And this is imperfect, but hopefully something that we can maybe reduce. And I think as radiologists, we must not mention dominant nodules, regardless of whether we assign any importance to that dominant, because that caution to it. And I think you'll remember, um, Neha, that we used to have a practice in town that had a blanket statement for saying all nodules over 10 millimetres should be biopsied. Million ripples on what were clearly spongiform lesions and all the rest or predominantly cystic degenerate nodules. So at least that will clarify the reporting system for radiologists and get a bit more uniformity. Yeah, I think it is an improvement on the ATA. And maybe the fact that the problem is just too wide is the reason. As you say, like, because the incidence is so high, the concern for overdiagnosis is bigger with thyroid nodules rather than cancer. Okay, this next one. So I I had (laughs) an unfortunate litigation experience with diverticulitis. And, you know, as always, litigation leads to soul searching. So I thought about it and I realized, you know, I actually really don't know that much about diverticulitis. Like there's actually a lot to this. It's a really common condition. And I thought this was a nice paper. So the gist of it is that it comes back more often when it's thick-walled. So the paper is this one, Recurrence of Colonic Diverticulitis Identifying Predictive CD Findings. So it's a retrospective cohort study. So briefly, they went through a whole bunch of CT reports. They started off with 700 and eventually they came down to 440, we know, with exclusion criteria and making sure they had adequate follow-up, etc. They ended up following them up for five years via their EMR, but they only used their own institutional EMR. So the patient went somewhere else for their recurrence, they would have missed it. The features they looked at, they looked at severity of diverticulitis, which is basically pericolic inflammation, severity of diverticulosis, so how many diverticulitis there are, which segment, length of segment, complications. Now, they looked at thickness specifically, and because thickness is so hard to measure, all of the features with their radiologists, they tried to standardise it as much as possible. But with thickness in particular, they actually did an additional pilot study to make sure that there was adequate interrated reliability of the wall measurement, which there was, and then they went ahead and they did this one. And the main findings were that the wall thickness is predictive. So for every millimetre extra, I think I've got it further down somewhere, it's like there's a 19% extra chance that it will occur. The severity is predictive um, and presence of a complication, but it's hard to sort of differentiate severity from presence of complication because, you know, you're more likely to call it severe. Obviously, if there is a complication, there's more likely to be a pericolic stranding and all that sort of stuff. This is a picture showing how they did measurement. So they measured, you know, they got a tangent through the cerebral surface and they measured the fold and included a fold. So, you know, you could do a measurement next to an abscess or a diverticulum, but not through it. And it was interesting to me that they included the fold. So the picture that they've given is this one, which is next to a diverticulum. They, they've decided the lumen is here and you just measure the thickest thing you can find, really. And if you can't see a lumen at all, then you get the straightest bit off the bowel, draw a line through it and then measure the whole thing and then halve that. I thought it was an interesting way of doing it. So pericolic inflammation, they called this minimal. And, you know, you can see that there's really, I don't know what this is. This must be some other loop of bowel or something. But, you know, that's pretty minimal. There's nothing around there really. They call this mild, a little bit graying. They called this moderate because it's a little bit more stranding. And then they call this severe because it's even more stranding and there might be free fluid, etc. So this is the extent of diverticulosis. So average is every five centimetres for minimal and then a few more within five centimetres for mild. Now for this one, they say most diverticular 
are indistinguishable, but, you know, they're sort of less than a centimetre, and some you can tell apart. And for this one, they basically said indistinguishable. So the examples they used were, I presume they're talking about this being one and this being one, and then few within five centimetres, and then more, and then, you know, here they really are just blending into one, they're indistinguishable. So they say that when you report articulitis, you should say wall thickness, complications, severity, so give a degree of pericolic stranding, and then say whether the diverticulosis is mild, moderate, severe, or minimal. So the results that they got, so 130 of their patients, so only 30% had another episode of diverticulitis. You know, I really always thought of diverticulitis as a mainly medical condition. We treat them, and then they get better, and and they go away. There's a small but significant minority that may need surgery, which is good that that's true. Um, they had 1.4% who died because of diverticulitis-related complications, and 23% of those who had recurrence had a colectomy, but half of those had had two episodes prior to surgery, so their institution, that must be their thing. Um, I'm not sure if that would be the case for us. I think in practice for us, really you wouldn't go to surgery unless you had a complication or you just weren't getting any better, I suppose. I've not heard a hard and fast rule that if you have two episodes of recurrence, you go to surgery. So it was interesting the maximum wall thickness was most predictive. So the hazard ratio was 1.5 for every millimetre. So you had a 20% recurrence chance at one year if it was less than 9 millimetres but 40% if it was more than 15 millimetres. So, you know, your chance increased every time, like every millimetre thickness then. So your hazard ratio was 1.3 for every increase in severity category. So 6% at one year if it's minimal, but 33% if it's severe. So if you look at all of the things they use, it doesn't make any difference how old you are. It makes a little bit of difference if you're a man, but the p-value is, you know, it's not significant. So who knows how true that is. So this was the most significant. P value. So this is per millimetre. And then interestingly, diverticulitis in the proximal colon is protective. So you're less likely to have a recurrence. But, you know, the P value of this was not significant, but that's what they found. I thought that was interesting. And then, of course, this is the increase in severity category. So issues with this were, I mean, okay, you know, it's retrospective. So if the person had had diverticulitis when they came in, they never got imaged, so they wouldn't have gotten included. And they didn't include P who would have had recurrences in the community. And I'd imagine there'd be a fair few of those people, you know, who just go to your GP. You know you've got diverticulitis. Maybe you have a CT at a private practice or whatever. The, the true recurrence numbers might actually be higher. And then from reading the article, it wasn't clear to me that when they had the recurrence, it was in the same spot. So, you know, all of these people with diverticulitis have, you know, it's in the sigmoids and left cons like everywhere. They didn't say that it was in the same exact spots, but I think that would be significant because presumably there'd be one area area where there's been some inflammation, maybe they're scarring, so there's a predisposition for more. And again, five years is really not that long a follow-up time. So yeah, there's some issues with this, but I found the, the wall thickness thing interesting. That's something that I haven't really paid attention to, that I just sort of say, yeah, the wall's thickened, but I don't really think that's 15 millimetres. They have a 40% chance of recurrence, but maybe I'll pay a bit more attention to it now that I've read this paper. Yeah, so there you go. That's it. Yeah, look, it's interesting because like you, I don't measure the wall thickness. I just kind of grade it in a visual way as mild, moderate or severe, make comment about stranding or not, make comment about complication or not, and comment as to which parts of the bowel are involved. That relative protective status of having it more proximally is interesting. Um, yeah. Maybe it's different etiology um, yeah. because the sphincters aren't going to be as high in the proximal colon, so why are you forming the diverticuli there? There must be some different etiology. But yeah. 
yeah, I guess that then begs the question of, again, much like the TIRADs, do we set up reports that document each of those features? But then the management of those, say, becomes the issue too, because, as you say, in our institution, you know, you're really only going to get surgery if you've got complications that then don't respond to conservative management. And the question is, what should that conservative management be in terms of drainage or not? How long do you sit on them, etc.? And the knowledge of the surgical issues around that, just alluding to that medical legal issue, how much are we supposed to know about what the surgical indicators and implicators are of what's seen and what's done, therefore how much we should intervene or not or recommend management to our surgeons knowing these things. So how far do we have to go? Yeah, well, I don't, that's an open question. I don't think that this has answered that. It's given us a bit more information, but I'm not yeah. sure. Hmm. Yeah. Knowledge is power, so more knowledge is always good. <laughs> We'll we'll take that. Uh, right, so I think that's it. Thanks for the opportunity to read these papers. I think it's a good idea. We should continue these. Yeah, yeah. Shame we didn't get a better turnout, but we'll have the recording, so maybe making that available to people might promote future sessions. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good.